I think we're live. Our faces are on, and, and, and we are live, which means there'll be sound momentarily. People are going to hear sound. Uh, I'm going to just going to post that on Twitter to remind people that we're up. Uh, and yeah, I think I think we're there. We're there, Prab. It's it's happening. Yeah. I got I got there eventually. You know, professional as ever. Oh golly, uh, pin to profile pin. Hello everyone, are you there? Uh, tell us if the sound's working. Uh, that's fine. And click this button here. Oh golly, no, I don't want my sound though. Forget sound. Uh, that's fine. Hello, can you hear us? Tell us, people, is there sound? Hear loud and clear. Hooray! Woo-hoo. Yay! <laughs> Yay! Sorry, everyone, we're late, but what's that? Three, four minutes? That's easily within tolerance. We're all right, Brad. <laughs> we're good. Um, welcome to this evening's Rail Natter. Uh, this is the 15th episode. This is episode 14. We started on zero. Don't worry too much ah. about that, Prab. Uh, that's, that's fine. Um, people, are, people are already asking us things. Hello, everyone. I love the best thing about this, Prab. Um, oh, by the way, Prab is here. Hooray, hello. Prab. Hello. Um, the best thing about this is I log in and everyone's just having a nice chat. A natter, Lovely. as you might love say, it. in the chat. Here we go. Yeah, it's great. Um, let's, uh, let, let's, let's go side by side. Hello. Here we go. Skype's hello. working. We're rationing Prab's pixels. Uh arcade is spec laptop for some reason is not spitting out the prerequisite number of pixels we won't worry about that too much i'm sorry <laughs> the sound's good so we're fine um <laughs> uh no one's late we've just we're, we're late so don't worry chris you're, you're fine um we've got sarah we've got lewis david Brian, oh, marvelous we've, we've all the all the usual suspects and hopefully some Brilliant. some more joining as well right what are we doing to, what, let's let's go what are we doing today we're talking about building railways with less carbon uh yeah, yeah. So today and yesterday, Prab, I've been doing battle with um, the Woodland Trust, which is a sustainable, okay. uh, a sustainable kind of transport advocate. You might think, why would, why would I be doing this? And, and I ask myself the same question all the time. But it has increasingly, it's kind of created this the, the thought in my mind that there's this interesting balance of, of railways. Railways are good, right? We like mm-hmm. railways. They transport people sustainably. And as we electrify more of them, we're transi- transporting people with zero emissions at source. Uh, uh, uh. That point of travel which is really good um but there's as you build stuff there are carbon emissions involved which is what we're going to talk yeah. about tonight um before we do that though i'm going to open this kombucha have you, oh, have you discovered lovely. kombucha have you i have well, nice and fermented and fizzy this is it all the cool people have heard of kombucha already whereas i'm not at all the cool people and so i discovered them very recently because dina picked up a a, a, a a collection and we started drinking them i've now become addicted because they're they're, oh, nice. they're quite nice so rather than the normal cup of tea i'm drinking a kombucha mm. Ooh, I like it. anyway so sorry about the drinking noises uh let's you know what right let's 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 crack on let's crack on uh well let's 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 get started and introduce all of you to tonight's rail natter <laughs> The Intercity 225 disappearing off, fading away. Ah, right. As ever, these always have some form of minor chaos when they kick off, Prab. And this one was like me being mildly late, uh, which is, yeah. 
I'm not very, I'm basically not very good at these. These are always really funny when I have a professional broadcaster as a guest. <laughs> like I had like John Elledge and Tim and, and uh, you know, Jeff Marshall was on last time, who's like a pro YouTuber. Among, I mean, he does a million things, but he is also a pro YouTuber. And there's me like sat here, like on my bouncy chair with like just <laughs> wires hanging out of my laptop and, and just, uh, and cardboard on the window over here. It's just finicky. Anyway, I've done enough talking. Don't How worry, are I think it's partly my fault because I had to download Skype like 10 seconds before <laughs> yeah. we before we had this call. So <laughs> I reckon it's totally my fault. Uh, yeah, um, it's fine. It's fine. We're, we're all we're all there. I think before we kick off, uh, I just want to say congratulations on uh, on becoming a chartered civil engineer. Thank you. Oh, thanks. Yeah, this is like my first public appearance since I got the news. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when was it? Was it? It was in uh, end of May, wasn't it, that you uh, had your review? Yeah, and then I found out just on Monday. So yeah, it feels feels a huge sense of relief. <laughs> which uh, yeah, which is really cool. I mean, it just reminds like every time people I know and work with are like passing review, I'm just like getting more and more realization that I desperately need to get on with it. Desperately yeah. need to get on with You'd it. Smash but, it though. I don't know. I got signed off how many three years ago or something, and I just haven't done anything with it. It's so bad, so bad. Anyway, um, so uh, we've got, already got people going. Uh, hello, we've got people saying that they have kombuchas as well. Well, there you go. Ooh. Great minds. Um, okay, everyone's chatting away. So let's start with um, let's start with the news. We're going to start with the news, and we're starting with. The, uh, this has been ongoing for a while. Well, not that long. When was when was George? When were the protests after George Floyd's death? It was was it a week ago now? A week and a half ago? A couple of weeks ago, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and okay, so people might be wondering why is why is this important? I mean, hopefully no one's wondering why is this important overall. But why, particularly in the railways, do we have to think about it? Well, I mean, there are all sorts of reasons, but it's it's important for us to be thinking about history and context as well as uh, kind of keeping mental. And I know. I suppose to start with, before we both have a kind of chat about this, the first thing is context in terms of the railways, is that pretty much all the British railway network was funded by the refund made by British government to slavers back in the early 1800s. So our entire railway is built on the back of um, a deep injustice. Uh, rather than refunding slaves who'd been you know, held in indentured servitude, uh, it was the refund was given to the posh uh, white folks who owned the slaves in the first place. Uh, and then they decided to invest it in, in a new technology at the time, which was railways. So a lot of the railways out there were funded by the refunds to slavers, which is horrific. But um, anyway, yeah, that's a bit of context. Prab, what, yeah. Yeah, the reason that we thought it was so important to mention this is because, yeah, like Gareth was saying, it's so important on so many different levels. And I know that, you know, a couple of weeks ago, it was everywhere in the news and I just... Yeah, I just wanted to bring it up again to make sure that it didn't lose momentum and for everyone to, because, you know, a couple of weeks ago, people were sharing things on social media. Everyone had the Blackout Tuesday, etc. However, I just wanted to reiterate the point that it's so important and it's not something that can be forgotten and, you know, momentum still needs to be carried on. And yeah, so keep speaking about it, keep contacting your MPs, keep having those conversations. Yeah. And I think it's a very difficult and sensitive topic. And I think yeah, just making sure that it doesn't lose momentum is the reason why we wanted to mention it in today's episode. Absolutely. Um, and there's so much that we can all, as I say, writing to MPs, just keeping that pressure up, keeping awareness 
elevated. As Sarah says, you know, we um, in the railways, we you know, racism uh, killed one of uh, our own in the railway family. Uh, Belly Mujinga was killed when she was uh, she died of COVID, having been spat at in Victoria Station. Um, so this is you know, racism is absolutely rife across the across this country, and we need to stamp it out. Um, and please, yeah. So uh, right. We could we could soapbox this for a long time, and, and we should. And, and frankly, it's not a topic we're going to shy away from in future rail matters. We need to keep talking about racism and, and systemic injustices uh, in the railway and beyond. Um, yeah, yeah, it's extremely important. And yeah, and like just to echo what you said, Gareth. Yeah, extremely, extremely something to take of utmost seriousness. And I definitely still encourage people to keep up the momentum and keep up uh, understanding, learning, speaking and all of this stuff. Yeah. Um, so it feels it feels a bit trivial then to to, to drop back into a normal rail matter. But, uh, but, but we're here to talk about the a context of railways that is really important um, as well. Um, before we do that, though, Prab, we need to talk about Leeds. We're going to talk about Leeds. <laughs> yeah. Tell me about Leeds. Why, why is Leeds relevant to you, Prab? So <laughs> I'm actually from Leeds, and so I have a very deep love for the city. It's, I think it's one of my favourite places just because I have that such strong connection with it. And so I always tell people it's the best place ever, and <laughs> I get... I don't like to listen to any other <laughs> any other bias towards it, but no, yeah. I'm joking. Yeah. But do, do you shout Leeds at people like Leeds people don't Leeds Leeds? That's like the. <laughs> so I, I I grew up with I grew up with a I grew up with I didn't grow up with him. I went I was, lived with him for um for a year or two in uni, and he's one of my he was one of my best men at the wedding. Uh, and in fact, he was on a rail natter recently. He's also from Alex Priestley's also from Leeds, and uh, yeah, Leeds people are just. Sarah's Sarah's also from Leeds. She's on in. She's in the chat. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of love for Leeds. <laughs> I, I like Leeds. There's a lot of cool stuff going on in Leeds, right? You've got you know canals. You can see the canal there. Exactly, You've got definitely. It's all sorts of kicking off. It's great. Yeah, um, I like all these aerial shots that you're able to find. I think they look really good. You should know about these. These are off VisiV. We've got this. These are our, we've got access to these off of our system. I did not know this. Yeah, yeah, yeah they're great. They're really great. good. It's really, really good. These, so, so I've met the team. I've sat in the helicopter where they take these from, actually. So Sean Lee and the team. In fact, Sean would probably be someone great to get on a rail natter because he's he's just a, such a nice chap. Uh, and he goes out and he takes a lot of these. He's got a Twitter account, um, Sean Lee, he L-E-A-H-Y. But also there's the N N R Air Ops, uh, one word on Twitter. And they, and they share some of their photos. And they're just absolutely stunning. There's some really good ones. There's a good one at King's Cross recently showing them. Uh, getting on with the work it's really great I'd, I'd recommend dropping in there it's really it's um yeah it's it's uh there, there's so many cool pictures we've gone on off on a, on a digression already it was it was bound to happen you know <laughs> uh yeah um yeah so uh oh the next okay right next slide next slide so this is a bit of, of context about you and what you do prab i think isn't it yeah it is and it's also sort of how we know each other mm. a little bit of a tie-in there and so structure in the top right hand corner so gareth actually did the p-way design for this and so that is a bridge down in yetminster down in wessex and so that's actually how we know each other because i was the design project manager on that scheme yeah. and i also used to work up in york in the same office as gareth so yeah, yeah so office chums yeah now you've, yeah. you've run away you're doing bigger and better things in the big smoke but uh <laughs> yeah we used to be in the york office it was yeah it's good it was, 
I uh, yeah, I, I it was a, it was a really nice it was not moving over to the uh, to the to from 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 another company into Arcadis. It was quite a nice it's quite a nice change actually. Um and it was a cool office actually, really cool. Uh, there's still a few cool. F- In fact, it's it's cooler now you've left. Actually, probably you know, it's, oh. now. You've, that's it. Yeah, oh. we, we went there. I thought you were going to say it's not cooler anymore, but no. <laughs> no, 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 no. We've got we've got a load of new new young people. These these young folks, they're going to be there. They're <laughs> going to save us all. Um, yeah, no, that was that was my first CRE job. Actually, first job I was lead design lead designer for was um, Yetminster, funny little bridge. Yeah, what a, what a strange job that was, eh, Prab? What a what a job. Anyway, we're, we won't go into too many details. What's the what's the structure underneath? What's the what's the one in the kind of the long picture at the bottom? So, uh, yeah, so my background is sort of bridge engineering, so bridge structures, and that's just one of the most recent schemes that I had done. So, yeah, you said for like a little background, a little bit of an introduction. So yeah, so a bit of a mix from me, bit of project management, bit of engineering, but mainly within the railway bridge environment. Where is it you studied, actually? I, I, I feel like I've, have I asked you that. Before? Where have you studied? Where did you study? Where did you do civil engineering? Down in Warwick. Ah, okay, cool. Yeah. Nice. Um, yeah. We put a picture of, War, of, of Warwick. No, you've got Warwick in my head now. Of Wessex in there. For anyone who doesn't know where Wessex region is, because it doesn't actually exist in real life as a place other than in, like, Thomas Hardy books. But uh, <laughs> Wessex region is, like, this this shape of the down in the bottom. So the kind of the, the southwestern direction out of Waterloo in London. Um, yeah. yeah, and Arcadis had, had and still have the framework yeah, through there for a lot of the kind of um, civils work, don't we? So I was doing loads of platform and sort of gauging jobs and then bridge bits and pieces, and there's still a load of bridge and earthwork stuff as well. Yeah, definitely. interesting yeah. work. Cool, right. Anyway, shall we, uh, yeah, tell me, tell me to move on when it's time. What, what we <laughs> Ah, right, oh, golly, okay. <laughs> Here we are, Prab. Sustainability in, in, in inverted commas and massive text. <laughs> yeah, so... One of the key issues is that there's no like a hundred percent definite definition of sustainability. There's so many different subjective views and subjective sort of ways to describe it. Uh, however, there are some quite like famous ones that I think people know of, such as you know meeting the needs of the present without compromising the ability of future generations to meet their needs. And um, yeah, I think that's probably one of the most well-known and well-accepted definitions. However, I think a lot of a lot of sort of companies or products etc tend to use this word to sort of mean whatever they want sometimes just because it's not really quite well defined and so you get some companies I don't know sort of the term greenwashing you can get a bit of this is this new product so sustainable and people think they know what it means and think that it's relating to this sentence that I've just said however sometimes it can not quite mean that and so yeah, just to reiterate that sustainability is actually encompassing of so many different things. So you have environmental, economic and social. So you often see those three as separate circles sort of overlapping in the middle for something to be sustainable. And um, there's been some like recent sort of papers and documents sort of saying that there's sometimes a secret fourth pillar about like culture mm, and about how that's like a, another sort of aspect of it. But um, yeah, I think that sustainability really does have a really large effect on all of the work that we do within the construction industry and the rail industry because you know you're for example particularly with rail because you have a really strong influence on for example people's lives when you're maybe creating a new route or improving a route for people's commute it's like something even as small as that can really help contribute towards overall sustainability and um 
And then also, yeah, environmental is often the one that people think of the most or straight away when people say sustainability. However, it's really important to remember that it is like a holistic whole view and you have these three key elements that need to work together to make something truly sustainable. Definitely. One of the examples I like giving about kind of more the more broad umbrella, and we're going to get into the environmental stuff a bit because we are going to talk a bit more about that kind of aspect of it. But uh, one of the good examples I like was... um, closure of a, of a foot crossing so it was to allow a line speed increase on a job um, and it was closure of a foot crossing but the the result of closing that foot uh, closure of that foot crossing without an alternative was that people had to walk along a main road to get and, it, and there was a residential area and the school was on the other side so they used this foot crossing to get to school and obviously mm-hmm. there are loads of other kind of paths people going to shops and things from this residential area over this foot crossing uh to their to various receptors and so it, it it would not have been a sustainable thing to do for the railway to do to close that crossing, even if it meant oh the journeys were better and you kind of improved you know the railway's own inter- kind of inward looking um, more more comfortable journeys or faster journeys or whatever. But actually, by cutting that, severing that community, that's not a sustainable action. So we have to think, you know, exactly. it's like how oh, they had a route and it's not that much further. Yeah, but it's along a busy main road. They're getting, they're breathing in more car fumes. So it's 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 quite a complex picture of all these different things you want to think about. Um, yeah. And, and, and nobody's perfect at thinking of it all. And, and the best engineers are the ones that can think kind of holistically, as you say, have a really good view of all those different things. Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah, so... Um, what for, all right, so I kind of slipped a few slides in here. I'm not hijacking. I hope I'm not hijacking too much, Prab. I thought I'd slip a few slides in to give some context to what we're going to say. Because, you, you, yeah, we, we, we're both going to talk about this anyway. Right, so without further ado, if on the environmental side, there are two things, two major crises that we as a species, as humans face on our tiny little rock moving at ever many million kilometres a second through space. Uh, one of them is, is climate change. You should all recognise the Hawkins stripes here. Um, that's uh, the temperature anomaly for the last since like 1830 or something. And you can just see we've, we've got the nice cool period we had in like the short ice age when the Thames froze over and then it just gets hotter. So you see the really dark reds there, the kind of the 2010s. Um, so that's climate change. Big crisis. You should all know about it. The other um, crisis is a separate one. It's it's connected very much to climate change, but it is a separate crisis, and that's biodiversity loss. And so the two, these are two crises that are happening simultaneously that are totally interrelated. For example, chopping down huge swathes of the Amazon rainforest is obviously going to have an impact on on the the ability of of our biosphere to absorb carbon. So it's going to contribute to climate change, but they are separate. Um, so anyway, what was I going to say next? I was going to, that was the context. Oh yeah, another context slide. Perhaps smiling because you know, you know that this is what I'm like in real life. I just go off on one. When you come and ask me a technical question and then we end up talking about sleepers for half an hour or something. <laughs> uh, yeah, sorry. Um, hopefully some of you have seen this graph. This is showing how little transport has improved through, through our lifetimes. Essentially, carbon emissions from transport are the same now as they were um, yeah, when we were born. And... Uh, that means that transport is now the largest emitter of carbon um, in the UK. Everything else, even energy, all these other things, let, emit, you know, produce less uh, greenhouse gas emissions than, than transport does. And the reason for that is because everyone still drives everywhere. Uh, so here's modal share of different transport types. So we've got air is only 1%, rail is uh, 10%. And road is 89%. It's just this huge number of people and, and goods, of course, as well, that move by road. 
um, which means that per percent modal share, actually, road is about four times more carbon intensive than rail is, and air also is four times more carbon intensive than rail per percent modal share. Um, anyway, so that's a bit of context. So to fix that, um, what we need to do is not build more roads. Here's, uh, here's the A9 dueling. Um, what we need to do is build more railways. The trouble with building railways is that we end up with having to do a bit of a balance. And this is what we're about to talk about, isn't it, Brad? So um, this, is a, this is some footage from uh, Broadwell's uh, woodland down in, I think it's in Warwickshire. It's, it's along the HS2 route. So this is HS2. This is the forest that HS, this is the woodland that HS2 has the largest single impact on because it does cut right the way through the middle. Um, and this is from, this is some nice footage from Richard Clifford driving his little, um, his little uh, sort of UAV around. Uh, and I suppose I put this video up, uh, Prab, because it helps us to talk about the fact that uh, sustainability in terms of the environmental aspect of engineering is a balance between habitat, certainly for new lines, it's like a balance between habitat management and carbon emissions, because the way to avoid habitat destruction is to build more complex structures, right, like tunnels and stuff. Um, so uh, to avoid chopping down trees, and you can see the impact here, okay, the impact, relatively speaking, is not huge. Most of the forest, most of the woodland remains. But you can see it's, it's not great to be cutting swathes through, through woodland, but the alternative to that is to build a tunnel. And here's the Chilton's tunnel for HS2. But that tunnel contributes a huge amount of additional carbon to the footprint of HS2. Anyway, that's my hijacking of this rail matter uh, for a bit of context. And so it's that balance which is, which is really important to get right. So, Prab, sorry. I don't know. Was, there, was, there, was that a useful context? Yeah. Is that fine? Yeah, that was great. Don't say sorry. I think that was perfect. It was a really good like uh, segue and the like good setup to talk about the embodied carbon and gave some great context. Because, yeah, like you're saying, there's often... Well, like we yeah, like like we've just said, there's so many different things to think about in order for something to be sustainable. For something, you know, like is it better for the environment? Is it better for the economy? Like it's that trade-off that's really quite difficult to navigate sometimes. And um, yeah, the reason that embodied carbon is on the screen is because particularly in sort of the big uh, railway infrastructure projects that we see on the railway, such as large bridges, tunnels, etc you get a really huge amount of embodied carbon. And yeah, just wanted to reiterate that the actual term carbon here is actually referring to a number of different things. Mm. So it's sort of referring to like greenhouse gases that are released uh, and it's not, it's not just carbon, it's like all of the other greenhouse gases as well. So uh, that's just a point to note that's quite important. Yeah, because um, you have, yeah, it's like it's measured in equivalent CO2 exactly. tons, right? So it's not just CO2, but it's methane. It's it's sort of some of the other sulfide gases, all the various gases that contribute an equivalent amount to CO2 in terms of greenhouse gas effect. Exactly, yeah. And so it's really important to just note that that it's not just talking about carbon. It's talking about a lot of number of different things. And basically, uh, you'll often see it in written in terms of CO2e. So yeah, like you said, this carbon dioxide equivalent. And that just enables different greenhouse gases to be expressed as a single value to allow for a comparison. And so, uh, yeah, embodied carbon is extremely important because some of the key materials that we work with are some of the key contributors uh, towards um, global warming and greenhouse gas emissions so for example concrete steel uh, all of the fill that we use and there is lots of key hotspot elements mm. and so what's really 
what really sort of struck me was like I was reading I think it was like a copy of the NCE a few months ago and I saw someone's quote that I thought was that really stood out so they're saying that you know civil engineers and, uh, and a lot of a number of the other engineers also sort of were part of the problem in the past and you know now we have to be part of the solution and I think that that's a really good way of looking at it and I think that uh, embodied carbon is becoming more and more relevant and more and more important in the world that we work in and also the world that we live in and so yeah, you can tell me if I'm talking too much, Gary. No, 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 that's like, perfect. It's really stop. good. I, no, I've done all. The, I've done too much talking already, so it's good. No, no. <laughs> but, it's, um, so we've, we've got a few questions coming through. I don't know if, if if you wanted to take a couple of questions and then we can keep keep. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is that right? So yeah, we've yeah. got a really good question from um, David Shepherd that I'm going to ask now, so I don't forget. And it w- might be one that you, in fact, hopefully one that I, th- I think you might have a, an answer for it, which is if okay. there if the railways can use construction materials or or construction approaches that actually lock up carbon. So they can actually be carbon, uh, like, like carbon positive, like negative, yeah, like actually yeah, whichever yeah. way around it would be, but essentially whichever sort way, of yeah. um, store and capture carbon in there. Are there any materials we can use, any approaches we can do that, 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 uh, in, that, in that sense? I would have to look more into that because sort of more typically on the infrastructure projects that would be for rails, railways, it would be, you know, like large bridge structures or tunnels. And so, you know, for actual structural materials, your main two things that you'd go to automatically are concrete or steel. And so maybe for any sort of additional ancillary works or something like that, but for main for main elements, I can't see of any direct yeah, things to swap that for. Because ultimately we need the structural properties of those two materials. So exactly. where it's structural, you kind of need those, right? Yeah. And so, but there is definitely a lot of like research and things going on. So one thing that that leads nicely into is that, um, yeah, concrete has like a, such a large footprint because of the carbon emitting process that is used to make the Portland cement. And so, you know, one of the key things that can be done when you're sort of specifying or designing a structure is to look at you know the strength type of the concrete that you're specifying you know does it really need to be c5060 or can you design it to be something less because mm. uh, that and really focusing on like the mix of the concrete because there are lots of different ways that you can try and amend the mix and try and replace certain things so for example uh, you can replace some cement with other supplemental cement materials such as fly ash or blast furnace slag and there's lots of different ways that you can try and look at this and um yeah one really interesting thing to note was that the mexico city airport project uh so arup actually con- conducted like a really large life cycle assessment study to mm. try and reduce embodied carbon and yeah they spent uh, yeah a lot of time looking at this and they actually the biggest thing that had the biggest effect so was actually that um looking at the concrete mixes and also the like efficiency of the structural steel work so trying to reduce any excess material of the ah, steel interesting. work yeah, yeah, yeah. so ah. yeah so the concrete mix and the amount of steel which i think is really interesting but yeah, yeah so yeah it's, concrete and steel are like your biggest hot spots and your biggest players here and so it's about like understanding your design not necessarily picking up standard designs which i know is sort of pushed on us a lot in the railway <laughs> yeah. industry and um yeah it's sort of challenging that thinking about are there any ways that i can yeah change the grade of concrete change a specification of concrete do i really need this i section to be this thickness etc it's about yeah trying to think in that way and having those questions 
And it's that, 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 I suppose if I flick back a slide, actually, so we, these two slides, one of them is, is the demolition works near Euston, I think, for High Speed 2. I've tactically used a load of High Speed 2 pictures because, um, well, they're, they're public domain, so <laughs> that helps for this. Um, and the other one there is, is a recently released picture, actually, of the southern portal just next to the M25 of the Chiltern Tunnel. So this is going to be a 16-kilometre-long tunnel under the Chilterns, which, which will release a huge amount of carbon. There's no avoiding the fact that that represents a big old chunk of carbon. Yeah. Um, but, but some of the interesting things you can do is, so often good engineering practice does lend itself to... Um, to reducing the overall carbon footprint. So you talked yeah. about reducing, um, you know, for example, reducing the thickness of an I-beam or um, using less, uh, you know, reducing your, your, your cube strength for your concretes. Yeah. These are things that reduce costs. They reduce complexity. For example, with an I-beam, if it may, means it's lighter, then you maybe need a, a, a smaller crane to move it around, for example. So, yeah. And, and, and reducing construction timescales can help. You know, you've got exactly. less mobilized for less. So it's all these, but it's a, it's a huge complex mix. And it's almost like it would almost benefit, you know, it's one of those things a bit like data when you think, actually, would it be worth there being a, de a design discipline that actually inputs into all these things? And it, you know, that I've always wondered that, like, because there's, there is so complicated. You could almost study it as its own discipline, right? Yeah, so we'd, yeah, we'd all generally have a bit of an understanding, but then you'd have a person sat in an interdisciplinary kind of meeting going, right, well, I've done my design and you need to check this, 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 this and reduce this, this, this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, so so I, yeah, I put these pictures up and then I put this one up of the viaduct. Um, this is just south. This is the over the Colne Valley. Uh, the Colne Viaduct, which is just south of that portal, actually. So that, that construction site is where not only they're building the tunnel, but they're also going to build this bridge from there which looks awesome. It does look awesome, but that also looks like it's going to have a lot of concrete in it. So yeah. um, I suppose hollow, like uh, the less concrete in cross section is good, right? So if you've got more hollow yeah, sections and... Yeah. yeah, and also like try and reuse materials as much as possible mm. on site and all of this stuff. I think there's there's such a, like a broad range of things that you can try and think about. And um, I think especially sort of on these large scale projects, I think the key limitations are that, you know, we are required to use that structural strength of the materials. So there is like a limit that you have to go to. And I also think that, you know, there's a lot more guidance to do with buildings. So, you know, you have uh, like the Green Building Council, you have like all of these like bodies that have a lot of legis like a lot of um sorry a lot of like, specifications a lot of documents yeah, quite heavily regulated yeah yeah and it's a lot easier to sort of find that information and look at good case studies and have examples so i think in particularly like railway infrastructure bridges tunnels etc i still think that it's a little bit behind hmm. in terms in comparison to the buildings yeah, so more to be done then. A lot, a lot more to be done. Definitely, yeah. Um, we've Definitely. got. So uh, Owen O'Neill is asking whether I think this is a question you might answer later, actually, which is whether road and rail schemes do their CO two maths, uh, their carbon maths, in in the same way, or are are we are rail kind of are we shouting at ourselves a bit more perhaps than the road schemes are, or is it vice versa? Do we not do enough in rail compared to road? You're allowed to wait until the slide on calculators if you want to answer it okay. later. Sure, I'll, I'll wait. I'll I'll answer that one a little bit later. Yeah. <laughs> so Julia, who Julia was uh, in York when you started, right? Uh, yes. When you, other way around, Julia started when you were still in York. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Julia is a cement. She did a doctor doctorate in cement, yeah. right? Uh, yeah, yeah. And so she gave a 
I find it fascinating. Other people around were like starting to get a bit confused by all the chemical equations, but I found it really fascinating. And she was studying the, 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 the really going into the chemistry of cement exactly, to reduce yeah. the, to keep structural properties whilst reducing the requirement for the, the exactly. carbon intensity. Oh, it's fascinating. Really interesting. Um, a rail natter on cement perhaps is... Uh... <laughs> yeah, you should get Julia on next, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, so we talked about embodied carbon, and, yeah. and, and so just to clarify, so the, the, so the embodied carbon is so the construction process, but in terms of do, do we count construction process carbon as the car, carbon the carbon that is released by concrete through its whole life? Because it's not like carbon stops giving out um, CO. It actually still gives out CO two through its life, doesn't it? By the way that it um, uh, uh, sets. It's not the right yeah. word. I was hunting for the right word, but yeah. Cures, cures, that's the one. Yeah, so for example, anything to do with like transportation, the actual materials, etc., would all be, you know, how it's built on site, all of these things. So again, it's much more clearer in terms of for a building because, you know, you'd have all of that work done at the start and then your operation would be more things to do with, you know, the lighting of the building, the outputs for the heating, the cooling, etc. And so that's why... You know, when you start looking more into embodied carbon or operational carbon, it's really important to sort of define the boundary conditions that mm. you do that you do the assessments for. Yeah. And so, so, you know, sorry. No, no, go on. Yeah. So, in yeah, like I was saying, it's much more clear cut in terms of buildings, you know, so you have everything that's the physical aspect of all that's put into the structure, all that's put into the building, all the like physical work, the labour, etc. And then throughout the operational phase is just how yeah, how it's maintaining, how it's being run, etc. Yeah, so so I so I then stuck this so I, we've got a couple of pictures here of, of kind of operational things that represent operational carbon. So running the trains, I'm guessing that, that would fall under the category of operational carbon, you know, the actual juice that they suck out of the um, overheads. That's operational yeah. carbon, right? Um uh maintaining them i suppose maintaining the trains you know so the electricity that's being consumed at the depot that's that's operational carbon right um i would think so again again it's quite like it's probably quite subjective because you'd have to look into so for example when you're designing something as for example you might say i'm designing a structure for 120 year design life and you've maybe got steel versus grp and the grp has a higher embodied carbon but will need replacing less and then mm. you've got your steel that has a lower embodied carbon but needs replacing more and then i think that's where it gets a bit yeah so manage, so so just like costs which which increasingly our industry is looking at the whole life of the assets we're you know upgrading or installing it's the same with yeah. carbon right we need to look at that whole life so so yeah. on the existing railway obviously we don't really look at at the trains because that's well firstly it's run by set you know we've fragmented our industry but also um you know, it's not, we're not really in the business of worrying about the trains that run over it. And also it's a very complicated mix. Whereas for high speed two, it's easy for them because the trains they're procuring are being procured just for HS2. So the, the depot and all this stuff is just for HS2. So that they are looking at the whole, they're looking at trains, they're looking at everything. So the, the other picture I've got here is a Birmingham interchange station. Now this is the first station. This is a carbon neutral station. So it'll be a zero yeah. carbon station, which is cool. So it generates enough electricity uh, it generates the same amount of electricity that it will use up. Um, yeah. It has loads of energy-saving features like, you know, automatic, you know, wind coolings, fancy stuff, and all sorts of good 
good good bits and pieces. Yeah. I think it's got it's got the highest Briam it's Briam outstanding. So in terms of building ratings, we were talking about earlier, Briam is one of them, right? And yeah, yeah. this is the only station in the world that's got outstanding or will have or has already got for its design um, outstanding rating according to Briam, which you know Briam's not a watertight assessment system, but it's not bad going. Um, it's not a bad precedent to set. So, um, which kind of answers another question we've had is can can stations be uh, carbon neutral or ca how much carbon can railway stations and solar panels earn back? Well, they can make themselves carbon neutral, uh, which isn't too bad. So yeah, so this is operational carbon. Um, yeah. And just one thing I wanted to say is that I don't actually think I answered your question, Gareth. So all I wanted to say was that, you know how you said concrete still emits, uh, plus mm. still have things to do with its decommissioning, with its like end yeah. of life use, etc. That is still part of embodied carbon ah, because, okay. you know, operational is sort of like I was trying to think I was trying to explain that, you know, lights, all of this extra stuff, like how it needs to be powered, like all of these things, it's cooling etc whereas um yeah whereas you know the actual embodied carbon still takes into account like the extraction manufacture transportation assembly maintenance like replacement deconstruction mm. and disposal yeah, but again it depends on the boundary conditions so it depends on what type of embodied carbon analysis you're carrying out whether it's a cradle to site or whether it's a cradle to grave interesting yeah, yeah. and so HS2 is really good. So as a pro an example project, HS2 has gone pretty heavy on a lot of these analyses. I'd be, I'm, my guess would be that it would be cradle to grave, but uh, I don't know that. So it's probably something to look up. Uh, if Pete Johnson's on, on, on in, in the chat, uh, one, one, one of the various greens for HS2, uh, they know the data more than I do, actually, so they can probably tell me. Okay. Um, anyway, so yeah, but for our, for generally for our stuff, what, what do, for network rail projects, uh, yeah. Is it generally always cradle to site or are we looking at cradle to grave in terms of carbon costing or is it up to us as consultants when we're designing? So it completely is a huge variety. So, for example, uh, often the sort of direction comes from the client as to what what they would like or what they would like to see or how they would like it. Whether Because I think, yeah, there's a statement on the RSSB website that states for like uh, projects over a million pounds have to sort of show that they're taking this into consideration ah, interesting okay yeah. yeah and so for example you know on some schemes they want like a report and other schemes they're happy for just like a summary table do you know what i mean it completely varies yeah. but what i do say is that i think it's really important that you know all engineers have an understanding of this and you know start asking the questions and don't just take everything to be okay yeah it's this okay yeah it's this thickness it's like why can i make it better etc absolutely we we are the ones who drive the change right we we're the ones who say actually exactly. you know no no matter where you are and you know obviously if you're a senior and a principal engineer you can really drive that change yeah if you're exactly. if you're starting out you make that suggestion and you put the work in and it'll get included in the report you know we, we at every level within the kind of the engineering hierarchy if you like we can make that yeah. change happen um yeah and so it's about awareness, which is partly what this rail is about. Um, yeah, it's yeah. just we all need to have that awareness. And it's the same for when, you know, when you're um, if you're uh, just an enthusiast and you're interested in a railway project, you can write to the network rail project manager and, and request, you know, and ask about carbon. You can freedom of information request. You can you can raise yeah. the awareness as well within the organization. Um, ask your MPs, so on and so forth. And likewise for road projects. Don't put all the heat on the rails. Come on. Um, right. OK, next slide. So, ah, right, okay. 
tell us, so, we, so we've got embodied carbon and operational carbon. So I think we've explained that, well, you've explained that really well. I've just kind of confused matters by asking loads of questions. Um, so tell us about this slide. What, what's going on? Tell us about this. So there is lots of information out there. And what I was just wanting to say is that in terms of embodied carbon, there are lots of different sort of calculators that you might come across or different companies saying, okay, we do it this way, or here's an online calculator. So you can see here that this Highways England, the RSSB and RICS here, so they all have their own separate calculators. So they have, I think they're all free, so you can go, and also the environmental agency, so you can go onto their website and download an embodied carbon calculator and you can have a play around but one thing to note is that they're all actually based on the exactly the same research and so it's the research that is just sort of screenshotted in the bottom corner is the inventory of carbon and energy uh which which is carried out by bath university mm. and um yeah so i think this is the third version of it at the moment and there was an update in november 2019 and yeah i recommend everyone to get a copy of this document because it's super interesting and you can download it for free from the circular ecology website and it is what it is it says what it is so it's the inventory of all the carbon and energy for different types of materials and so you have like a really thorough list of you know the different concrete mixes concrete grades different types of steel uh glass masonry like all of these different materials that you exactly absolutely everything and um yeah it's a really extensive research and study and it has all of these embodied carbon factors and so you know how we were talking mm. earlier that you have your carbon dioxide equivalent your co2e yeah uh, so this gives you a value in so embodied carbon is kilograms of co2 equivalent and in this document the inventory of carbon and energy they provide embodied carbon factors. So that's kilograms, CO2 equivalents per kilogram or per, I don't know, another, like per volume, et cetera. There's that uh, different. Yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, and so that means that if you're looking at a scheme and you know how much, for example, this lump of concrete is going to weigh or the volume of this lump of concrete, you can quickly use this embodied carbon, the factors in here to just you know, do a quick calculation, check how much that's going to be, and then do a cross comparison. And so it's really all of those extra tools that these other companies have made is all based on the exact same research. That's uh, Yeah, which actually really neatly answers uh, the question we had earlier about whether road and rail are uh, kind of using the same maths is that actually, yeah, they, they should be because the this, it's just from a single source of truth. This this work from the University exactly. of Bath. I, I, you've told us that because because I knew you'd be. The reason I asked you this is because you presented on this to us in in. in a, well, I was about to go over my shoulder because I because because I used to live in the flat next door, but I'm oh, not yeah. in that flat anymore. I'm in the house, so it's not over the road. It's miles away, um, in the office. Yeah, and um, and I, but I, you probably told me that, but I'd forgotten that it was all from the same source. So is it just yeah. basically a big Excel spreadsheet with all the like a huge amount of data in it? loads of different tabs and yeah it's really interesting because it's it's really thorough and it explains you know how they've calculated it what the whether it's cradle to site cradle to grave cradle to exactly exactly it explains this boundary conditions really well and it's really user fun functional user friendly and it's really easy to use and i would say that it's free it's a brilliant resource and it also is a really simple calculation you know all you need mm. to know is like your weight or your volume of a material and yeah, then you can have a play around, you can have a look, you can, yeah, have a little, little so what yeah. What I'm thinking is I need to go in there and see if they've got, 
and if they don't, is create one for uh, for Peeway because it'd be quite interesting to look at. Uh, because although it probably has it for volumes of normal materials, obviously in Peeway we're we're a bit more off the shelf in that for us it's like a shopping list of this many you know fast clips, this many G forty four sleepers, this volume. Of, okay, the ballast is probably on there actually. But, yeah, so it'd be interesting to yeah, and the pro- the RSSB hopefully have got one for different clips, sleepers, and volumes of you know for for drainage and because it's yeah it, you know we've got spawn spawn is like the standard civil engineering resource for costs right yeah the spawn and book, I suppose yeah. this spawn book I suppose this inventory of carbon and energy is perhaps a, an equivalent for um, standard civil engineering materials but it'd be quite good for there to be a kind of a some specific ones for different disciplines like I don't know. Uh, EMP, you know, M and E for the, for their kit as well. I don't know. That starts getting to the point where, well, how do you measure in length yeah. of, of what cabling? Perhaps that's not included. It'd be interesting to look at to look at those and break that. If that doesn't exist, the RSSB might have done some of that work already. Yeah, um, I do know that. So, for example, a lot of the organisations are really keen for people to share. You know, like standard products, mm. or you know, if you've built up an embodied carbon model for a product that's widely used or widely repeated, and you know that just makes the process better, right? That just makes yep, more people able to use it and understand and apply that to their projects. Look at areas of best practice, and so I think that you know, really sharing like areas that have been worked really well, areas that haven't worked so well, I think that's what's really important. And on the RSSB tool, it's called the Rail Carbon Tool Online, there's like an area that you can share and you can look at other people's projects as well, uh, which is really interesting. That is really interesting. And, um, yeah, so there's a lot of, lot of good stuff out there. And I think that it's just really important to note that it all comes from this this really easy to use spreadsheet and that you don't necessarily have to use all of these fancy tools. It's like quite a simple... <laughs> So which yeah, so have you looked at and played with uh, the three tools there? Uh, yeah. Which one? Which one do you prefer? What What do you think of them? I don't know. I think they all have like their different like positives and negatives, right? And uh, the one that I've used the most is the RSSB one, mainly because uh, one of the clients that we work for requests to use that because it's like an online tool and, and then it saves and then it, and, yeah. exactly. And then again, you have that benefit of, for example, if you've used the tool to model a handrail you can just then just take that package and apply it to another project that uses the same one and you know it, it sort of helps the knowledge share mm-hmm. so then there's the highways england one and for the benefit of the people who listen people listen to this as a podcast so i thought i'd so yeah so there's the highways england uh tool and also the rics tool as well so what, what, what about those two what do you think of them yeah and there's also sorry i forgot to put in there the environmental agency one ah, okay, as well cool, yeah. there's that one as well yeah, so they're good. I think um, some of them come as like a bit of a more of a Excel spreadsheet format. And so, yeah, I think, again, they're just all based on the same, like the same science behind it. And so they're, I think they're all, yeah, it doesn't matter which one you use. I think they're all equally good and just to see which one suits you best and have a play around yeah i suppose yeah i mean rssb for railways highways england for road jobs environment agency for environment agency you know environmental yeah. engineering jobs and and the rics one for i mean what what does rc what's rics stand for prab i've forgotten i think it's like Royal institute of chartered surveyors is it the surveyors one yeah so any yeah. so anything so that's everything then so yeah pretty much yeah. all things <laughs> yeah uh yeah okay cool so it's probably easiest to stick to the one that covers your discipline or your but but as you say they're all based on the same math so it's kind of 
yeah, pick and choose. So, so what's cool about that data set, the 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 environment the inventory of carbon and energy data set, um, is that it's open source or not open source rather, but it's publicly available. So anyone on this, so not everyone watching this are engineers. So actually, the people are green campaigners. You can go out there and have a play with the data yourselves and have a you know. It, the data is out there and, and great for people to look at. You know, it, it's there to play with. It's it's cool. I, I'm all for this. I'm all, I'm a big fan of open data. So what would be cool is if we published or were or even were told that we had to publish the carbon data for the for all the projects we work on. It'd be quite good to to have that out there um, for people to because the idea you know you could crowdsource different possible suggestions of what might work. Yeah, I don't know. The, I like the idea of people getting involved and the, and the more people who get stuck in with this, you know, engineers but other other people as well. The better, yeah. better we'll get at, at achieving reduced, you know, reducing the footprint, the carbon footprint of our, our work. Definitely. Um, cool, right? Oh crikey, it's it's nineteen fifty. Well, it's already nine minutes to eight. Uh, How did this happen? I know, right? I told you, I told you that the chat just happens, right? It, disapp- it disappears. Disappears. Um, uh, yeah, well, I tell you, what, I'm going to do this and cheek because if I get a side by side, we can wave as well and say hello to everyone. Okay. Uh, but also, I guess reminds me, allows me to check what the next slide is. Um, <laughs> So actually, that, that we're going to. I'm going to leave that last slide up because I'm going to go through and ask a few few more questions. There we're back again because okay. I think because the next slide um, is kind of a roundup slide. Uh, so yeah, let's have a look. See if any any questions. Anyone send your questions through. Um, we've got um, okay. David Shepherd was asking about which calculator you prefer, and you kind of said they're all by the by. Um, uh, can we use the? Can we use retired concrete? Uh, railway structures for things like foundations for footpaths or cycle paths again that would just need a review right you'd probably need to do some testing on that piece yeah, of yeah. concrete and then see if it could take like the loading and i think it would just be on a case-by-case basis but yeah reuse as much as possible yeah i mean i suppose you can crush it up and use it as aggregate pretty easily right that's that's an yeah. easy one and that and we do that a lot right that, that pretty much is what most recycled car is, yeah. uh, uh, concrete ends up getting crushed up and used as a, as various fill types, right? But mm-hmm. in terms of actually reusing foundations specifically, yeah, you'd have to it, you'd have to make an assessment, wouldn't you, for each one? Um, yeah. Prab's an actual civil engineer, whereas I'm only a P-way person, so um, Prab <laughs> knows about that. structural engineering and I do not. Um, no, don't say that. We might have studied a similar degree, but we very <laughs> much bifurcated. I just hit things with big hammers now. Um, <laughs> Also, or, or use yeah, circles. I am not a specialist on this topic either. I just am very interested in it and have been quite involved in trying to, you know, get people to look at it and play around with it and have and just get interested in how to ask those questions in designs. Um, uh, oh, Bjorn is asking uh, if I know when we'll know who build the HS2 trains. Uh, end of this year is when that'll get announced. Uh, what else? How can carbon be? All right. Anyway, so we've got. OK, that's a few questions. Uh, any other questions? Da, 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 da. People are worried that it looks like we're potentially going to finish on time. They're really not happy about that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> two people are very surprised. There are two engineers on the feed, and we're not going to have a fifty percent overrun, uh, <laughs> which is cheeky. Thank, thanks for that, Peter. Very good. Uh, yeah, Bjorn as well. Um, no, we might. Oh, David Shepherd, please ask Prab about the carbon cost of a railway tunnel. <laughs> to the Isle of Wight versus saving of ferries to the Isle of Wight. Crikey, how would we even begin to work that I, out? Right? I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. Yeah, probably bad. I think even, I don't know, like, 
Well, the way to work it out would be to, to work out the carbon emissions of your ferry, right? And then, and then vaguely engineer it, like vaguely get an, an estimate for a per kilometer carbon emission, like maybe get the cross rail numbers and work out what the per kilometer carbon emissions are kind of embodied carbon is for a kilometer tunnel, work out how long your actual tunnel is going to be. And then, I don't know, you could probably work it out, but it'd be pretty it rough. It would take a long time. Yeah. It would, yeah. Yeah. Someone needs, uh, so, well, I'll tell you what, David, what you need to do, download this inventory of carbon <laughs> and energy and... Uh, send through your and what you can do is send the results through and we'll have you up on a rail natter and you can tell us about tell us about it it looks like an interesting uh, little thought experiment um yeah. yeah um matt reed asks do we know what the comparison between hs2 and the oxford cambridge expressway carbon footprint is both during construction and whilst in use golly no i haven't seen uh, i haven't seen a carbon uh footprint costing for the oxford cambridge expressway i have seen the ones for hs2 and for an idea of scale, because scale is really important in these things. Actually, probably you might not have heard this one. The overall full whole life carbon cost, so the whole life carbon cost, including both embodied carbon and operational carbon yep. for HS2, for high speed two, um, is less than one month of UK road transport emissions. Oh my goodness. So that's for 120 years of operation and yeah. including the carbon including all the embodied carbon of tunnels bridges all the works um that's about i think it's around about eight or nine million um equivalent co2 tons i think that's i think that's around about the order of magnitude whereas uh, the road emits between 11 and 12 million um a, a, in a month so that gives you an idea Gosh. of scale it's crazy so yes yeah. we need to, it's important that we reduce the carbon emissions in in building railways but also context and 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 relative scale is really important you've got to think when you've got 90 well what was that nearly 90 percent of stuff and people move around on roads um yeah. we we have to we, we can't let carbon um we can't let the embodied carbon of our projects stop us from investing in these projects to reduce the bigger picture which is getting people and stuff off roads Anyway, there is, there, that's the answer to that question. Um, I, I have one little extra thing that I ooh. always think is quite fun. Oh, yeah, and so on. sometimes when you do these calculations, it spits out numbers and it's quite hard to sort of think what does this relate to? So, you know, when you were saying, oh, it's this many tons and it, sometimes it's quite hard to like visualise oh, what, like, what, what does that actually relate to? What does that mean? And um, there's this little website that i sometimes like to use it's called like the united states environmental protection agency website mm. and if you've got emissions data in either like uh, carbon dioxide equivalent tons or kilograms etc you can put that in and it gives it in relatable terms so it says you know that's how many passenger cars would be driven on a road per year that's the emissions from 10 billion barrels of oil or something do you mm. know what i mean it like puts yeah, yeah, it yeah. into a comparison which i always think is quite fun to use and so if anyone's curious i think that's always a good place to have that's, a play around as yeah, well yeah that's really good that's a that's a great shout that is a great shout um if i remember i'll try and put the link to that in the in, yeah. in the in the description um yeah but anyway people in people in the podcast and indeed who are watching this live now um yeah, go on to the EPA, the, the US EPA website, and you can find. Uh, well, what what's it called? Is it like emissions comparator or something like that? Can you remember what what it was for a Google? I think it's called like greenhouse gas equivalencies calculator. Greenhouse gas equivalencies calculator. Nice one. Yeah. Oh, that's that's cool. Um, right. So that's that's actually. I mean, that's our technical. We're, okay, we are going to run on a bit because it's two minutes to eight. The next thing we're going to talk about 
But actually, I'm going to shut up and prab. <laughs> Here we go. Next slide. So, uh, yeah, I'm so sorry. I didn't actually realise the time had gotten so gone so fast. That's right. I was like, thing. will it be enough to talk about? And then now, <laughs> now it's now it's already eight. But um, yeah, it was just a. Uh, Again, just sort of opening up the conversation a bit on why diversity and inclusion is so important. And yeah, I think there's like countless evidence already out there explaining, you know, the benefits and the business case for why diversity and inclusion is so important. And, you know, I think that it's not even just the right thing to do, but it's so important on a number of levels, not even you know people always try and argue on a business case but it's not even that it's sort of like you want everyone in a team or everyone that you work with to feel included as well as not just being there as a diversity sort of yeah yeah, yeah. sorry i didn't explain that very well so it's like sort of people tend to sort of see diversity as just people just being present as opposed to inclusion being extremely important as well and um yeah so you know boost people people's productivities people like are so much happier within a team teams are more creative they you know there's countless benefits of having a diverse and inclusive team and um yeah it's just sort of reiterating that you know in the past i've even been part of uh work for places where they only hire from the same university so it can be even like diversity on that small of a scale mm. and so it's just such a broad spectrum isn't it so diversity can be anything and it can be relevant to any situation and to any type of characteristic anything so it's such a broad range and yeah and I just think that it's really important to note that you know on on an unconscious level uh, it's really really common to even not even know that you place a really high value on people who are similar to you Mm. and you know people who you feel that um, warmth with that you may not even recognize yourself that you're doing it or that you're thinking this and yeah I just I think it's something that's really really important and like I was saying you know not even on a business case but on a personal level and I think the more that you surround yourself with people who are similar to you the more you don't realize what you don't know it's like yeah homo- homogenous teams don't know what they don't know that yeah, you just exactly. it's like you create more blind spots and yeah and you know the more that people look like us the more that people think like us the more you're more likely to place more warmth and value on them and you you know you just don't even know that you're doing it and I think that there's a lot to be done both on personal and professional levels and yeah it's just sort of a bit of a discussion about this because yeah I think it's something that is very important and I think still people find it a bit difficult to talk about or sometimes it's not necessarily something that's brought up all the time and so for me it's sort of looking at it as like a sort of a shift of culture so for example before health and safety moments weren't necessarily something that everyone did all the time you know at meetings or anything whereas now I feel like you know diversity inclusion moments should be yeah should be raised and brought up and be important as well and um Yeah, there were just a couple of things that I thought would be interesting to bring up, such as uh, I mentioned before, like bias and sort of uh, having an affinity bias. And I think also what's important to note is that a lot of people have an unconscious bias. And sometimes you can see this comment sort of in the news and all of these places as well. And so unconscious bias is really, really powerful. And I think it's really easy to overlook how much that can influence you and your decisions. And 
yeah, there are just some really useful things on the internet and around to read. And for example, one of them being the implicit association tests on the Harvard University website. And you can, they're on like a different range of topics, you know, like gender, race, age. And it's really interesting to, you know, trial it yourself, have mm. a go, try and, you know, find out more about you and how you think and how this affects, yeah, how this affects, you know, you how you treat people and how you view people. Ultimately, yeah. As en- as a- yeah, it's it's so important. As engineers, we cannot do we cannot engineer a world for everyone if, as engineers, we do not represent everyone. Like for, exactly. for me, it's like fun- absolutely fundamental. Definitely. And and there are other things like pervasive things like the fact that we have a chronic engineering skills shortage. And if by our own um, kind of uh, biases or our own kind of um, uh, unconscious biases whatever it happens to be if we're closing doors to people we're not allowing enough new people into the industry when we have a chronic skills shortage so it's like there are so many different levels to which it's just a complete it's a complete no-brainer to just try our very best to totally overcome that those the the kind of the lack of diversity in our industry melanie osborne uh, a previous guest on on rail natter hi melanie uh, points out that uh that there are where it's gone there Oh, crikey. 12% of all engineers are women in the UK. 12%. Yeah. It should be 50-50, right? There's no reason for it not to be 50-50. Exactly. Um, And that's, you know, from my perspective, that's things as, it's it's as simple as things like when you're at home, this is a funny one. Okay, funny little story. Uh, And this doesn't apply to to me and Dina yet, although we're thinking about it. Uh, But if you're at home and... You think think about how much as 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 the men and the boys on the feed think about how much cleaning you do if you're in particularly if you're in a, a heterosexual partnership um, think how much cleaning you do and uh, if you don't do fifty percent of the cleaning then you need to sort your act out I like and that's like because it means that potentially your your other half might well be doing more of the cleaning and so as a there's an unconscious bias there if they're spending more time doing cleaning they're getting less free time to either be doing work, away from work. Or, you know, so it's little things like that at home. You can make changes to just sort of get rid of some of those unconscious biases. Um, there's a great book, particularly on, on the on gender gap. There's a great book, um, Invisible Women, um, which is a really, really good read on, um, particularly as engineers, the unconscious biases we do within design. Mm. Um, and that's not, you know, that, that includes uh, men and women engineers the, the, through the fact that we've been taught by a fundamentally sort of undiverse you know our universities are not uh, mm. certainly in engineering is not a diverse place it's getting better it's better than the industry perhaps but it's certainly not a diverse place um and uh, so we both both of us have been trained by a fairly pale male and stale engineering fraternity right so we've got biases we need to get rid of um in the way that we do things the design that we undertake um you know for example when i'm doing design at uh, the platform and train interface we've got a little sideways person we use to, to to check the size of the gap between the train and the platform that was the first thing i thought right i better go and check what is that is that a male is that a female what is that dimension and am i is that in, am i doing bad engineering there by um just using either a fe- you know, just using a male body should i actually be looking at uh, at the feet it's little things like that just, just totally pervasive. That book is brilliant. It really opens your eyes. To, well, I opened my eyes certainly to all the things that the little things that I need to be thinking about more during engineering. Um, 
yeah, Matt Reed is pointing out that seatbelts are designed for men, not women. Bulletproof vests, uh, lots of things. And There's of course, hundreds of examples. Oh, so yeah, so many. And, and disability is one that the railway is really bad at. We're, we, yeah. we do our best when we're doing station designs, for example. We're getting much better at having accessible yeah. spaces. And, and yet we still have trains that don't meet the platform. So yeah. people are stuck on and off trains. And yeah. We've got so much more to do. Network Rail have the advisory board, don't they? The beep panel. Yes. Which, yeah, which, which I always think is is a great initiative. So I'm involved in the um, campaign for level boarding. I'm really proud to have been one of the people who kind of kicked that off, which is which I, hopefully some people on the feed might well be part of that group as well. Um, and I'm pleased to say we've got members who are people who are involved in the BEEP who are also involved in that campaign. And actually the BEEP is held up as a really good example of, of a success story where the for, for overall engineering-wise, Network Rail are kind mm-hmm. of um, ahead of the game a bit on that. Um, uh, it's worth looking up. Look up the beep. I can't, is it B E A P or is it B E A P? Yeah, B E A P. B E A P. Um, and uh, yeah, well worth looking up what the work they do. Um, yeah, no, that that's really worth. I mean, particularly you know, not not least we're in Pride Month. You know, it's it's every, you know, we need to be thinking about having diverse workplaces. And uh, yeah, my I moved. I think I alluded to this earlier actually when I moved from. A previous organization which starts with an a and is a major engineering consultancy to arcadis i moved from an office that felt pretty pretty pale male stale i have to be honest and went to arcadis was quite pleased at how diverse it felt felt like a really diverse workplace uh in the york office and then someone pointed out to me well you say that it feels like quite diverse just count is it actually di-? and then you go oh yeah that's right it's like still 70 percent white older men so even that, so for that to have felt diverse, so I was like, that's such a diverse workplace. Everyone's like young and sort of it's quite a metropolitan feel. This is great. And then someone pointed out, yeah, but actually look across the office. I was like, oh, so that just shows how bad it is. It's like that sharp contrast. Yeah, long way to go. Long way to go. Um, right. Sorry, yeah. I, 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 I yammered on there again. Prab, no, no, no. I just think it's there. It's a really interesting discussion topic. And yeah, I just... Like I was saying, I think it's really important for people to feel comfortable talking about diversity and inclusion because it, it matters so much. And, yeah, I, I think there's little things that people can do. So, for example, yeah, if you're in a leadership position and you're hiring people, you know, I think that's why it's just so important to understand like your unconscious biases yeah. and like how that can influence and sway your decisions because you may not even be aware of it. And I think that you're in such a powerful position there, right? Like you, like when you're in these management positions. And so, you know, think about, can I look at um, like non-named CVs instead? Yes. Can I, like, do you know, like there's lots of different mm. little things that you can really think about. And, you know, I, yeah, I do really recommend doing those implicit association tests, the unconscious buying bias tests. And yeah, trying to Im- embed like diversity and inclusion into culture of a team or how you speak to people or especially if you're like again like we're saying i think if you're in leadership positions you have like a really good opportunity to set a precedent and like lead by example absolutely um yeah i, I I'm, yeah i'm glad you've i'm glad you you kind of yeah you, you, it's it's something that's just that, i mean even rail natter if we're gonna if we're gonna get, kind of cut close to the bone rail natter is not doing particularly well on the diversity front at this point Hopefully we're doing it. We're like, I'm doing my best to try and 50-50 it with like at least 50% like white men to 
everyone else, but it's we're not doing well on Rail Natter, so um, that's on my, that's my fault, and it's something I, I I'm going to do my best to continue to fix with our with our guest Rota. Um, yeah, Prab, thanks. We've that's it. It's, we're we're only kind of ten minutes after time. This I know. And, and and we've kind of that's it. We so we I'm sad. I, I'm kind of like, can we chat just a, a more half an hour of chat? Send your questions in now while we do the kind of the end spiel because we I'm sure we can touch on other questions. Um, Oh, David, people are asking about where this group is. Level for ca- the, the campaign for level boarding is going to go public in a big way when COVID clears up because then we can concentrate on getting the all-party parliamentary group out. But uh, it's a bit quiet at the moment because it got snarled up in electoral cycles and all sorts. So we'll we'll come back to that. Um, that so, yeah, that's that's it. We've, we've sent questions because we will come back at the end. But just to round off... Uh, Heel, thanks as ever for putting this into the the podcasting world. iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and is it Scribbler or I don't know what the other one is. I always forget the other one. At some point, I'll I'll look it up, but I've no idea. Um, so the, yeah, the podcasts. So welcome, to, thanks to all the people who are listening to this on your phones on your commute to work. Oh no, no one's commuting to work these days. Uh, anyway, jogging around or whatever. Um, next week. We have uh, Charlie, Charlotte Monroe, oh. is joining us to talk about art on the underground, uh, amongst some other things. Uh, she's totally going to sneak in some signaling chat. I just know she is. So, uh, M- Melanie, we're, Melanie, if you're still watching, there's going to be some uh, there's going to be some more signaling chat. So, Melanie did the signaling um, rail natter a while back, which was really good fun. So, I, I think we're going to have even more signaling chat, which you know you can never have enough signaling chat, right? You and I are both like, I know nothing about signaling. <laughs> This is fine. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, and, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you want to decide on future themes, then uh, Patreon is the place to go. Support me on Patreon. And also uh, Coffee and PayPal. Because uh, it's not that arcades don't pay me enough. It's just that this stuff's all on my own time. So to kind of vaguely feel like I'm justifying using up all my free time, this is this is how to do it. And also it allows me to buy better kit. Although, as you can see, I haven't done that yet. So I've still got, like, <laughs> stuff hanging from the ceiling, like wires. Uh, it's, it's fine. It's fine. Uh, um, anyway, yeah, Prab, it's been a pleasure. It really has Thank been an you. absolute pleasure. Thanks that so was, much for having me. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's been great. It's been really, really good. Um, uh, people are happy. People are, uh, yeah, people are enjoying all this. That's good. Lots of chat. Lots of useful. People are thinking there was lots of useful information in there, so they really enjoyed That's that. That's good. Um, that is good. People are thankful for calculators. Uh, <laughs> good. There's people. Oh, someone earlier asked about couldn't you for 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 costings? Couldn't you tot up? So for things like railways, can't you tot up the carbon benefit by looking at how many cars you take off the roads? Um, it's a very good point. We can It's probably easier for freight than it is for passenger journeys because modeling the modal sh- modeling modal shift is really complicated for starters because it's a hugely complicated mixture of if you if you in, you induce traffic onto uh, away from the roads. Uh, or rather, sorry, you drive modal shifts so more people get the train, but actually that empties the road, which drives induced demand onto the emptier roads. So you have to do other things to make sure the roads stay empty, so it becomes complicated, particularly for something as massive as HS2. Um, but even for small... So I think for freight projects, it's easier, which is going to be my point, Prab. So for like, if you've got a new, say, a freight gauging scheme, right, you're laughing because I've just gone off on... This is my brain, it just shoots all over the place. <laughs> You've got a freight gauging scheme where you're taking, you know, you know that they're going to be opening up 12 more paths a day, say, for a two and a half thousand ton container container train. You know how many HGVs that takes off the road. That's probably a much easier calculation. So yes and no is my answer to whoever asked that question. It was a good one. 
there's a rubbish answer, but um, maybe we'll revisit it in the future. Uh, I'm just whizzing back up to see any other uh, queries. Uh, yep, David Shepard pointing out that inf rail infrastructure discriminates against wheelchair-bound passengers quite a bit. Yep, definitely. And then government says they can't afford to fix it. Also, definitely. Bjarn points out that around 14% of girls in first year are in first year of engineering um, at his university, which is still, really, I thought it would have got better. Only 14%. It's I think really the bad. main difficulty is that, you know, gender roles are enforced at such a young age. Yeah. Like, it's like, it's way younger than you think. It's like, I don't know the exact age because I had it written down somewhere, but I think it's very, very young, like when you're like a toddler or if mm. not like earlier. And so, you know, if something in like media and culture and all of these things, if that's constantly portrayed to you your entire life, yeah, yeah. I think the problem wasn't created overnight. Therefore, you can't expect the solution and like things to get better so quickly it's even like things like when a kid <clears throat> if you've got a wee kid and the first time they pick up a toy truck or something and our our biases are like we go oh yeah or, or like a, a little kid kicking a football the reaction from like parents if it was a boy might well still be to go yeah and make a big fuss about it kind of capturing that bias for a young child super early whereas the reaction might be different for, a, for if you've got a daughter and it's all those things right from the earliest age exactly that, yeah. that, that, that we have to think about as you know well you know potential potential parents or whatever who knows anyway but let's let's run away from this subject very quickly uh right um uh we have we're, no more questions people are talking yes i am a fan of the new flirts because they have level boarding there's going to be okay there will be a future rail natter on um on level boarding hopefully we're going to have katie pennick joining us just as a bit of a thing, and we're going to talk loads about that. Katie um, is part of the campaign for level boarding and a really positive activist for um, uh, just making life a bit easier, just a bit of dignity for people who people who are wheelchair bound or just disabled people more 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 generally. Um, yeah, uh, you can't be what you can't see. Well done, getting all these engineers on the sort of telly. Thanks, Melanie. Um, totally keep your suggestions coming in if you've got people you want to appear on rail now let us know right prab i'm just going to stop yammering and give you your evening back now um what's 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 wait a minute no i'm, I'm driving the buttons <laughs> i'm pressing buttons like this tomorrow <laughs> it's fine everything's fine i've still got half a kombucha so we're good um prab thanks so much everyone who joined us this evening thank you so much um there's there's a few questions still spilling in, but maybe we can pick those up afterwards, or Prab might kind of might kind of get in the comments and answer. Who knows? Who knows? But um, anyway, I think we've used up enough of your time, Prab. That's been brilliant. I've really enjoyed that. I've learned loads. Um, hope I mean, yeah, people have already said there's loads of good info in there. So thanks very much. And um, yeah, thank you so much for having me. And take care, everyone. Yeah. I hope everyone's keeping well. <laughs> yeah, take Bye. care during lockdown. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.